Hey guys, and welcome to Cinema Snorkel. I'm Casey. And I'm Carlin. And this is the podcast where we dive below the surface of movies. Listen, if you're listening to this episode, it's one of our earlier offerings. We sort of built this plane in the air, and we recorded with a different name, Movie Sibs, which you can scratch. It's Cinema Snorkel, now and forever. It's no longer Movie Sibs, it's Cinema, Cinema Snorkel. Snorkel. Cinema Snorkel. Cinema Snorkel. Also, you might notice that our sound quality is abysmal, particularly <laughs> Carlin's, through no fault of hers. Carlin's microphone was your Samsung phone, which you laid on the desk. Yeah, it was. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please listen anyways. We're not fancy pants podcasting schmucks, you know, who have all the equipment before you start your podcast. That ain't us. That's not what we do. We don't think. We just do. We just do things. We just turn on the red button and start saying whatever comes to our mind. We didn't even record any thoughts or even watch any of the movies before we recorded these episodes. We haven't seen any of them. We're just shooting from the hip. I saw one trailer. (laughs) Enjoy. Enjoy Cinema Snorkel. None of that is true, by the way. Except the part about the microphones and our name being different. <laughs> that part is true. But we did watch the movies. We did watch the movies. And, and we do prepare. We do prepare. Maybe you can't tell. Maybe you can. Either way. Here's our podcast. Tuesday. March 15th. I'm doing a podcast with my sister. We're here to discuss the Batman. I'm in a journal for the first 30 minutes of this film, but then I'm not going to journal anymore after that. I'll always have to be the Batman, but not the Batman Gotham deserves, just the one it, it needs. Tuesday, March 15th. I punched a guy in the face, then I just kept punching him and punching him and punching him, the Batman. Dear Diary, when are these criminals going to learn to shoot me in the face? the only element of skin that I'm showing, but they always aim for my chest. I'm really grateful, but also kind of confused. I got shot in the chest like 12 times this week. Once with a shotgun, but none of the pellets actually hit my face. It's raining. Okay, I'm not gonna lie though, I feel so connected to Batman because I am working nights right now. And it's raining all week, and I thought, this is like watching three hours of my life on film, except with less gunshots. They think I'm lurking in the shadows, but I am the shadows. All right, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So what we do on Movie Sibs is we ask three important questions. The first one, we just talk about what did we like about this movie? What worked? What didn't work? What was a home run, if there was any? And then we like to ask, what does the, what did the filmmakers intend with the making of this film? Are they trying to say a message? Do they end up saying a message anyways, whether they're trying to or not? And we just give it our most charitable understanding of what they're trying to say before we cast any sort of critical eye upon it. And then thirdly, we ask, what does Christianity say um, in response to those messages? Is there something as Christians we can resonate with this as well? Um, And by asking those questions, we found that we're able to uncover quite a bit of interesting content within movies and have some really interesting combos. So, Casey, what did you like about the Batman? Something in the way... (laughs) 
Listen, <laughs> we made the mistake of watching this at 10 o'clock. We, so we cut the 10 o'clock showing oh, and for a bunch of grandmas. Got out go, at 2 a.m. <laughs> it was me, my wife, and our friend Matthew. And, you know, we started at 10 and I could tell my wife was hanging in there for the ride. But Matthew and I were leaning forward in our seats, <laughs> loving every minute of this Batman <laughs> movie. Because while it's very gritty, I found it to be technically excellent and mm. the thing that I care the most about with movies, Carlin, this is just me. It's the world building. Yeah. Are you consistent in the things that you present according to this world? Uh-huh. And Batman produced kind of an interesting, like, steampunk 90s with some digital technology and some rotary phones and some old school charger yeah. cars. But I felt like it was accurate to what the comics were trying to be. And they played in that world so beautifully that I had to love it. Yeah. Okay, would you say this is the best iteration of Gotham that you've seen on film? I cannot go so far as to say that. I know that's the hot take. I think Chris Nolan wins still. But Carlin, what about you? Well, I recently rewatched the Dark Knight trilogy, and I love, I love especially the Dark Knight. Batman Begins and Dark Knight Rises are like about half as good in my mind. But what struck me about this movie is it's far more realistic in terms of technology, fight scenes, stunts. What struck me about the Christian Bale ones, which I loved, there's so much goofiness. Like Batman falls five stories and lands on a car and just gets up and is fine and like, his cape can allow him to fly. Give you a little bit of like, no, it's science. Um, but I don't know. It felt a little fantastical to me revisiting it this last time. Mm. The other thing that the Christian Bale is there's a lot more levity, which I never thought I would say that Batman could be darker than those Batmans because they're already so dark. But right. you've got Michael Caine's Alfred being so charming and a little sarcastic and witty and grandfatherly. And you've got Michael even... Caine. Even Bruce Wayne will like say a few little snarky, funny things, but there was very, very little of that in this new Batman. That's a good point. I will say that this film surprised me with uh, sort of the human feeling to it. I thought it was mm-hmm. going to be just like an absolute dumpster juice slog for three hours, <laughs> but they actually bring the characters like. Uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman actually has a lot of humanity to him. You can tell he's a good guy. Yeah, he cares about that little orphan guy. He's a little orphan guy, and he's kind of a reclusive Batman, as opposed to Christian Bale was a playboy, and that always bugged me a little bit. Robert Pattinson is more of a sad boy. He's like emo boy. Emo boy. He's so sad. Oh, he's so sad the whole time. (laughs) I just want to cry. And the rain just (laughs) dripping off of his face and everything. He stands and stares Uh. for like 10 minutes. (laughs) So on the whole, I really liked it. And that might be predictable because I love superheroes, but I just, I really respected what they did. I don't think I'd watch it again and again and again. No, I think (laughs) if the Batman was a flavor at an ice cream store, I would sample it every time. But I don't know if I'd always buy a, a two scoop of it, you know? Okay, what, Casey, do you think is the Batman trying to say? Let's talk about some themes here. You know, one thing we're seeing with these superhero movies is that even though they're reinvented again and again and again, you, you just see certain tropes. And they're the reasons we keep coming back to the same plot in different flavors of ice cream. Like, think of all the Spider-Man, Spider-Man examples. Spider-Mans. 
It's the Spider-Man. It's the Spider-Man's. <laughs> Tom Holland is so different from Andrew Garfield, but they're dealing with the theme of power and responsibility, right? Tom Holland's just a fun-loving young kid. He's just yeah. like a high school kid. Right. Typical, you know, he makes dumb mistakes, but it's like, what do I do with this power that I've been given? That's like the core motif of Spider-Man. Batman is similar. It deals with how do we work justice when we work outside of the authorities. And when the authorities are corrupt to their very core. Yeah, well, especially in this one. Can can real justice ever be served? Totally. Fear is a big theme in Batman utilizing fear for uh, good purposes or evil purposes and is it okay to do that and are there limits Mm -hmm. to that so those those are like the same motifs in every batman movie and this one was no different Mm -hmm. but it had in my mind some really surprising twists to it oh do tell well i noticed three main themes for me first when is it okay to work outside of the authorities Because the twist of this movie that I thought was so genius was that Batman and the Riddler are way too similar Mm -hmm. for our own comfort. And that's kind of the big reveal at the very end. We don't know who the Riddler is. We think he's a psycho. But the Riddler sees himself as Batman. The Riddler thinks they're out there doing the same exact thing. And Batman's surprise when he finds that out is really important. Interesting. Yeah, I I didn't catch that, to be honest. Um, But you're right. I think there is that look of shock on Batman's face when he realizes, yeah, this this guy, he's lumping us together. And then he maybe questions himself. Because he comes back at him and he's like, you're crazy, you're crazy. And he starts hitting the glass, you know. But he would only do that if he truly is having a crisis in his identity. Totally. Well, before then, Batman had another crisis, which to me seemed like the climax of his character arc, which was the second theme. What do we do with our broken history? Uh, right. The Waynes. Totally. Batman's been fighting this entire secret vigilante war on crime in memory of his father, who he thought was a good upstanding guy. Yeah. And when he finds out that it's more complicated than that, it rocks him. Yeah. And I think that's a central theme that they were trying to get across. What do we do when even our upstanding righteous people are broken down. Wow, that's a huge one. That's so heavy, and I think that's something a lot of people can resonate with on a really personal level. So totally, just to park it on that one too, did you notice that the Riddler is dealing with that as well? Oh. But for the Riddler, it makes him target authority figures. And for Batman, it makes him target criminals. You're saying the Riddler who was an orphan and then the funding was yanked and so he turns against the system that abandoned him. Right. Whereas Batman believes criminals killed his parents and so he's turning on criminals to bring justice. It's almost like Batman can see no good in criminals and he just keeps punching them in the face and punching them and punching them and punching them in the face. (laughs) And the Riddler can see no good in the authorities and his masked crusade is to bring out the scum Mm. that's hiding behind the shiny parts of Gotham and he can see no good in anyone in authority. And they're both masked. Right. Which is, I think, the central theme is how similar the Riddler and Batman are. Wow. Okay, that's great. I was not really picking up on that, but as you say it, that really rings. So then what, if they have all the similarity, why should we root for Batman over the Riddler? Well, let me just turn that question back because I want to camp on that. I'm really interested in that too. But when you just watched this movie, Mm -hmm. why were you rooting for Batman? 
Well, for one, there's a line in the sand that Batman doesn't cross. Right. He's not, I mean, the obvious one. He doesn't kill people. But he restricts himself in that, and he even, there's that little moment where he's like, no guns. He's like, that's your thing. I'm like, of course, you, easy to say no guns when you're wearing a bulletproof suit of armor and have all these right. like little clippy ninja stars strapped all over you. But um, yeah, so Batman has a system of morality that keeps him in check, whereas the Riddler is willing to do atrocious things to people, he, inventing ways of torturing people publicly. They're both using mm. fear, but Riddler is using terror, whereas Batman, he's intimidating criminals mm. away from doing the wrong things, whereas Riddler is bringing vengeance. Oh, here's the here's the difference. And Catgirl, what's her name? Catwoman. Catwoman, sorry. <laughs> That's Cat her name, woman. as far as I know. Maybe so yeah, I'm a, name I'm I a feminist. Uh, oh. <laughs> I don't it's remember Cat her woman, real Carlin. name. <laughs> it's Catwoman. So she calls him as like a nickname, Vengeance, from the beginning. But he's not Vengeance. He's Justice. Mm, interesting, isn't it? We're rooting for Batman, even though he's on this crusade for vengeance. Yeah. But it's because he wants to do the right thing, right? Uh-huh. Like, Right, and well, I don't think he's bringing vengeance. Oh, it, maybe he is, but I think his intention is not to just avenge his parents. It's to bring justice in the city of Gotham, and they kind of hint at that theme also that, like, she's like, you're already spoken for. Gotham. He is committed to bringing justice and peace in the city that he loves more than he's focused on mm. his personal vendetta. That's a really good distinction, whereas the Riddler is so wounded by his orphan past that it really is personal. For him. It's personal yeah. in a way that transcends other virtues or values. Yeah. And I think he commits atrocities. He definitely doesn't have Batman's thin line of justice. Now, you could debate whether it's the right line, but for Batman, he does have a moral code, and it's he won't kill people. He'll slam their heads with incredible amounts of force into the ground, which, you know, but that doesn't kill people well, in movies. It's the ground that's doing the killing in that case. So. It's a thin line. It's a thin line of justice. <laughs> no. no. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't kill people. So I think that that's what gives Batman his go-ahead to work outside of the authorities. He recognizes that there is some authority that he shouldn't have. There's some power that he rightly won't exercise and it's the power to kill people presumably because that power belongs with law and order which batman mm. strives to uphold right and as long as he holds that one line then he can operate in the shadows on the side of law and order but if he were to ever cross that line which is the whole point of the chris nolan batmans but they don't really get into this they're not trying to tempt him to kill someone the chris nolan batmans are about getting batman to break down from his quest and get him to kill the Joker. That's Joker's goal. Because if he can destroy the Batman, then he wins. Right. He's destroyed the totally. only true form of justice in the city. That's that scene totally. where he's like, hit me, hit me. And he's like driving the car at him and he's like, I want you to hit me. Totally. Oh, that's a, oh man. See, th this is the difference too between this movie and that one. For the Joker in Chris Nolan's movies, nothing is personal. It's all about the abstract idea of chaos and bringing the chaos to the world. The Joker's yeah. a, a psychopath. He really he's he's not in it for his own gain, uh, right. which is why he was a really terrifying villain. This one has more understandable motives, and yet was no less terrifying. I think. Yeah, and here's what makes it terrifying to me. I think um, the Riddler actually makes some compelling points about like everyone's all obsessed with rich Bruce Wayne, who's an orphan. But what about the rest of us who are you know living forty to a room and the babies die every winter? 
And there's something that really zings in that where you go, oh man, like how does privilege play into this? And if Batman was less privileged, would he have the same line of justice? Would we care as much? And this is a strong similar theme to the Joker movie. But I think in this one, whereas in the Joker movie, I mean, it's no secret to my friends and family that I disdain the Joker film. It made me feel sick in my stomach because they were asking that question, but their answer was the most irresponsible I could possibly fathom, which is that if you're a victim, then you have a right to do whatever you feel like doing to make yourself feel better or to make other people feel as bad as they made you feel and more. Right. Whereas we're rooting for Batman the whole time and Bruce Wayne, as we should. No one, no one thinks about, should I root for Batman as I go into this movie? No, everyone is. But he justifies everyone's faith in a bunch of little ways. He apologizes to Catwoman when he judges her yeah, too harshly. Yeah, that's true. Her. He does. See, he views her as the criminal element. But when he realizes who she is and what she's trying to do, he realizes it's more complex. And he, he has humility. He actually is like, my bad. I'm really sorry for what I said. I mean, yeah. that's a redeeming quality for sure. And it separates him. The Riddler could never see the humanity in, in a person in authority. Right. So Batman's qualitatively different in that way. He shows care and compassion, even though he's the Batman. And with his privilege, he actually doesn't want any of it. He lives in a cave, depriving <laughs> himself even more than the Chris Nolan Batman ever did. He just deprives himself of any of the privilege of riches. He wants nothing to do with it. He actually wants to do good in the world. And Uh so he kind of undermines the Riddler's accusation there. But you can tell it gets him a little bit because he's wondering that same thing. When the Riddler's talking about Bruce Wayne so slowly and we think the Riddler has his secret identity unmasked, you know, he's just ripping on Bruce Wayne. Batman's looking down because it feels like, oh, man, I'm unmasked. I am privileged. You know who I am. Yeah. Luckily, I think the movie's meant to say... He missed it just by a thin margin, but he actually doesn't know. Oh, the Riddler doesn't know he's Bruce Wayne? Well, let's talk about that. What did you make of that scene? I, I'm not sure, but hearing you say this, I'm, I'm questioning. Well, I've heard people on the internet say it both ways, but I'm pretty convinced for my own part that what we're meant to take away is that the Riddler actually doesn't know he's Bruce Wayne. Oh, does he suspect it? Because he puts, you see his, like, his mood board where it's all like, there's pictures of Bruce Wayne and pictures of Batman and, you know. Or you think he's just targeting Bruce Wayne to revisit the sins of the father upon the son? I think it's misdirection. Yeah, the filmmakers are trying to be like, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. And then you realize, oh my gosh, wait, no, he doesn't know yet. But he's going to get Batman to go unmask Bruce Wayne for him. Which is what he's been doing the whole time. He gets Batman to do his heavy lifting and go unmask these guys and bring them in. Right. In a way the Riddler can't. Bring them into the light. Oh, right. Okay. So the next target is Bruce Wayne, and we're meant to think this is it. But the big plot twist, the big reveal, the Riddler actually just didn't know. And if he had that moment of finding out, his whole worldview would implode. Because here he is on this crusade against all these corrupt people. And if he were to find out that not only is his final victim the one that has the most personal connection to him, that's why he's the ultimate. Not because he's Batman, but because Thomas Wayne funded his orphanage. And if he were to truly unmask Bruce Wayne, he would find out that you can be rich, privileged, and fight for justice, truly. Oof, that's good. 
And that scene is so poignant because while the Riddler doesn't realize the full truth about who Batman is, he realizes a certain truth, and they each realize it about the other. Riddler realizes that Batman is actually on the side of law and order, who the Riddler this whole time has thought, you know, you're with me. You're my buddy. You're my, like, hands and feet out there. You don't, you're don't. you involved in this. You might not know it, but we're the same. We're the same. You're with me in this crusade. Right, right. He longs for community. He's got his online wacko community, <laughs> and he thinks Batman is in it with him. And so when Batman has that moment where they misunderstand each other, and Batman's like, what? No, you're scum. You're criminal scum. That just rocks the Riddler, and he has that weird freak out. And Batman realizes, and this is the critical part. This brings us back to the themes of Uh, what do we do with our broken history? Is it okay to work outside the authority? Batman realizes he has been the inspiration for the Riddler. He's created the Riddler, a vigilante who works outside of the authorities, who deals with broken history in a violent crusade, Uh and whose primary motivation is vengeance. And Batman's been calling himself, he's let himself be called vengeance the whole first half of the movie but he realizes what he's done he's created the exact template for the riddler to copy in the service of evil right but the thin line of justice that he holds himself to that's not part of the batman package that's part of bruce wayne in his morality so in the hands of someone who does not have that moral compass it becomes a really dangerous weapon right The third theme I noticed then, and this is how they resolve that tension in really powerful ways, is vengeance versus hope. Okay, okay, I'm listening. You said this right away. I think this is the main... Batman essentially says it in the final monologue. He says, I have had an effect here, but not the one I intended. Vengeance won't change the past, mine or anyone else's. I have to become more. People need hope to know someone is out there for them. The city is angry and scarred like me. Those scars can destroy us even after the physical wounds have healed. But if we survive them, they can transform us. Blah, blah, blah. His point is he's got to shift away from vengeance. He realizes that vengeance is just an end-ending cycle that creates the harm it's trying to fix. Which that whole montage at the beginning on Halloween where he's like scaring the criminals, is that kind of depicting that like this is how he fights crime is with the fear and vengeance model. But now he's reassessing and he's like, maybe that wasn't the way. And he's hoisting little kids out of rubble instead. But I don't actually think instead. I think it's a heart change that actually, it'll have some practical implications on the ground, but I still think he's going to go beat up criminals with his bare fists. Well, armored fists, but yeah. Armored fists, right. So, well, that does beg the question, Carlin, do you think given that new leaf of fighting for hope, what does that actually mean for Batman then? Like, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm asking myself, and I'm not coming up with much of an answer, but, but let's ask again. Um, what does it mean for Batman? Correcting people when they call him vengeance? He'd be like, don't call me vengeance. Call me hope. <laughs> <laughs> call me hope instead. I don't know either, but I think it's a good open question to ask. And maybe the movie just, you know, they would have needed another three hours to show us, yeah. which in, in that case, that's okay. They need another villain. <laughs> they need another villain. Right. Which you can tell they're setting it up for, which I'm fine with. I thought this movie was really fun to watch, so I'd totally go see another one. I think a really poignant moment, and it loops all of these together again. This answers the question. He stops Catwoman from killing her evil thug dad. Which, how does she deal with her broken history? She is ready to kill Falcone. But Batman realizes that his dad 
was in cahoots with Falcone even for one terrible moment. And even though he didn't know what he was doing the full extent. Right. Doesn't matter that his dad wasn't the worst he could be, but he muddied his clean reputation. He chose evil one time. Yeah. Uh, in a really significant way where a guy got killed. And so he actually, I, th- I think that does change Batman. I think he's not as ruthless as he would have been. And he stops Catwoman and she says he needs to suffer. And Batman says, we don't have to suffer with him. I think that was really good. I think that applies to like the law for one thing, but I think deeper than that, it's that vengeance causes you to suffer. It sort of eats you from the inside and he's almost in a deeper way saying you don't have to suffer. So I guess that might lead us to our third question. Don't you think? Kind of seems like it's gonna. Let's do it. How does the Christian worldview grapple with those themes? Well, I think there's a lot of the truth that we see in the Batman movie is also echoed in the Christian worldview in that vengeance does just destroy and lead to more and more suffering. It reminds me of the book of Judges a little bit where everything's fallen and Israel does what's right in their own eyes. And you have these judges take really the same themes as Batman, right? Like justice or vengeance in their hands. And you see different characters in the book of Judges do different things in the lawlessness. Some of them fight on behalf of real justice, overthrowing tyrants, and establishing a just and righteous kingdom to the extent that they can. You know, I think Deborah's a good example of that. Others are very, very flawed heroes like Samson, who meets out harm on Israel's enemies, but he's a deeply problematic moral hero. Really, Judges runs the gamut in an ancient context. For Christians, though, well, and and I'll say even in the book of Judges, it never really solves anything for long. And that's where I think Christianity grapples with that theme. Even in the Old Testament, God limits vengeance. He says, it's mine to repay. I will avenge. And even though there's the Old Testament law of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, some people look at that and go, oh my gosh, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. But I think you're actually missing the direction that God gave that to Israel in, meaning he was trying to limit the type of retributional justice that they had available to them in the ancient world. He was codifying and limiting it to merely an eye for an eye. You don't take someone's life because they've hurt you. Right. You limit it because if it's unlimited... It escalates and escalates and escalates. Totally. And in an imperfect system like that, you do end up with a whole blind world because injustice is just running rampant. But because Yahweh, the Hebrew God, reserves ultimate judgment for himself, it gives us the comfort of knowing that in the end, all debts will be repaid, all justice will be served. And we can do our best to make a good society to live in, but we don't have to be the ultimate marshal of the universe because eventually he's going to bring justice, perfect justice. Totally. And just the knowledge of that fills Christian ethics with a different tone. We are never allowed to despair. It does hold us to a different standard of conduct. We need to be on the side of earthly authorities because there will be imperfect justice, and we're always meant to fight for what's good. But the means we use to do it are different, knowing that God is going to stand at the end of history and sift it out and make it okay. There will be judgment from God. No one actually gets away with anything, even small little things, which should actually fill us with huge elements of mercy. You know, Micah 6, 8, it says, He's shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
And for Christians, especially in sort of a civic society, we're always supposed to do justice, but we're supposed to love mercy. And this is the really big takeaway from me. What really turns Bruce Wayne away from vengeance and towards that idea of hope is the idea that he's kind of caught up in the mire a little bit too. And extreme measures are going to just ferment that. You know what I mean? It's like the humility to recognize that his dad made a mistake. He sort of takes that information and synthesizes it in a really amazing heroic way that lends an element of mercy to what he does. He doesn't kill Falcone, although we want that guy dead. I mean, he's truly a scumbag. So, I, yeah, I think there's a there's a strong Christian ethic. Now, Batman is not the archetype of Christ or the archetypical Christian in this sense, but I think it points to the same basic themes there, that if you have the humility to understand that nobody's perfect, it lets you see clearly when you deal with justice and mercy. And most importantly, that you are not perfect. Yes. That you are not the righteous one that can bring vengeance. You have the sins of your father and your own sins. And your system of fighting crime might produce a scummy villain that's, you know. So if you walk into every situation armed with your desire for righteousness and justice, but also this humility knowing I'm flawed as well, that's like the important limiter. Otherwise, you'll just become the Riddler. If you believe you can hold the keys to justice and you decide, then nothing will stop you from killing, torturing all the horrible things that he ends up doing. Totally. That's a really good point. It's not enough to say, well, the world is broken in some ways, but what can we do about it? Who am I to judge? Actually, we know that there's good and evil, but it's where we see ourselves in relation to that good and evil that gives us the moderation we need and you're exactly right, Carlin. That's what the Riddler yeah. doesn't have. And I think that's critical for society because that's what so many in society don't have either. We view ourselves as the righteous crusaders ready to take down whatever system or institution. You see this on both the political extreme left and the political extreme right. Antifa has no problem punching people in the face. And neither does the alt-right. They really are stockpiling guns on the shady corners of the internet because they think they're the righteous crusader with nothing wrong about their methodology or anything, and everyone else deserves to be taken down. Yeah, their righteousness is ultimately self-righteousness. But the only way you can seek righteousness is if you believe that there's a standard that exists outside of yourself. And the scary truth is, since we've rejected God and any external form of objective morality— The best we can do is, what do you feel in your heart? But that's exactly the kind of thinking that produced the Riddler. What's in your heart is going to be ruled by your wounds and this desire for vengeance. And it only produces more suffering, more trauma, more destruction. Yeah, well said. So, Casey, how many bat stars out of 10 would you give the Batman? 60,000. I thought we weren't going to rate our movies. I give it 60,000 bat stars. Awesome. Well, Case, this has been a really interesting discussion. I feel like we found some really interesting themes in there. Hopefully, our listeners are super excited to go out and talk with their friends about this movie. Thanks so much for sharing your insight, and we will see you guys next time on Movie Sips. March 15th, I recorded a movie podcast with my sister. March 15th, my head is shaped like an egg, and 
It looks ginormous in this Batman outfit. That's okay because of Robert Pattinson. You take that back. Robert Pattinson is a gorgeous man. (laughs) He's a gorgeous man. He just doesn't have cheekbones. They all got stuffed up into his head. (laughs) You like Robert Pattinson. Me too. I'm not saying I didn't like him. I just think he's got a big head. Also, his mask looks like his face. So I don't know how people don't recognize that he's Bruce Wayne. That's a classic superhero conundrum. (laughs) Next time on Movie Sibs. 